So, what are the responsible, uh, or rather, Drinks Federation of South Africa is saying uh, is that the significance of responsible alcohol trading extends far beyond meeting legal alcohol licensing requirements. It encompasses a holistic approach that prioritizes the well-being of consumers, the environment, and the communities in which these businesses Operate. Joining us for this conversation, Dr. Shamal Vinesh Ramasa is the head of research at the Drinks Federation of South Africa. Welcome, Doc. It's great to have you. Good morning. Good morning, Clarence, and good morning to the listeners at uh, Cape Talk. Thank you very much for, for having me. Are, are you saying maybe that the licensing conditions should be a lot clearer in terms of defining the rules of engagement? You know, Clarence, I don't think there's a problem with the definitions of the licensing conditions. I think the biggest problem that we have is adherence to these conditions. I mean, when you look at our liquor legislations, um, and as you know, each province has their, their own, uh, you know, liquor acts and, and liquor laws and regulations. The, the biggest challenge, or, or sh- should I start off by saying that these, these laws and legislations were formulated based on good research, uh, international evidence and and all of these things combined to form these type of uh, licensing regulations and conditions. The problem that we have is adherence to these um, already good laws and conditions. And um, and the reason, of course, um, and you would be one of the first to agree with me, is we do have a major challenge with enforcement in South Africa. So the laws are there. Um, they are are room for it, or there is room for it to be manipulated. But because there is a lack of enforcement, uh, that's where the advantage is being taken over these conditions. So you say there's a there's a problem with with adherence. Is it is it ignorance? Uh, just capitalist pigs, maybe just wanna wanting to milk that last little cent out of every patron. I think, given the you know the economic times that we live in, everybody is trying to ensure that they're looking after their pockets, you know, given the, the high inflation and so on. Um, you know, I believe, honestly, that most liquor traders are uh, have good intentions and want to trade responsibly. Um, they are the, the few bad apples that unfortunately give the entire industry uh, a bad name. Well, when I say capitalist and, pigs, and that's really I'm, I'm, the problem is. when I say capitalist pigs, those are the people whose only mission is profit, and they don't care at who or what expense that profit comes—environmental expense or the next person's expense. So that's my definition of a capitalist pig, just for the record. Yeah. But sorry to interrupt you. Please go ahead. No, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know. So, so like I said, you know, we, we're talking liquor traders specifically, not the manufacturers and so on. Uh, but with regards to liquor traders, there are the few bad apples that that unfortunately give the entire industry a, a bad name. So you're saying there could be the profit motive, but there could be some ignorance as well. Yeah, of course. So so profit motive, but 100% agreed. Uh, it could be ignorance. Uh, we do have a challenge in in the country, and this is across all the provinces where there are unlicensed liquor traders, and uh, and these uh, you know we know. Um, are your sort of shabins and backyard uh, taverns and and so on. And really, you know, research has been done in this space where it shows that many of these people are doing this purely to survive. Okay. And, um, you know, the the research has shown that they've either inherited this little shabin from a a grandmother or a parent, and really it's all they know in terms of putting food on the table. So in that case, uh, Clarence, I do agree that it could be a bit of ignorance in terms of trading responsibly. Uh, the good news though, is that, you know, ma- many of the, the major alcohol manufacturers 
um, do uh, dedicate a lot of time, effort, and resources towards, uh, you know, upskilling and training, um, you know, these individuals to, to trade responsibly. Obviously, they would start with uh, the licensed individuals. So these are the individuals that have a legal license to trade alcohol. Um, you know, there are incentive programs that are, are, are put in place. Uh, there are upskilling programs, you know, in terms of that. And of course, the DFSA uh, as a whole are, are looking towards developing programs where we could offer training, um, you know, for these individuals where they would uh, have to do it when they renew their, uh, their license and so on. So there are all of these wonderful ideas in place. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, I, w- I want to understand. Uh, our challenge really lies with the with the unlicensed I hear you. Uh, traders. I hear you, and yeah. that's where the enforcement issues are lacking in this country. Dr. Shamal Vinesh Ramasa is our guest. He's the head of research, the Drinks Federation of South Africa. We see too often how uh, a drunk person who should not be given another drink is given another drink i want to understand i think we all want to understand how how this manifests this ignorance or this greed how does it manifest no that's a that's a good uh question clarence so you know as part of the uh the trade code of conduct or code of conduct that we're trying to uh to develop and and uh and you know obviously get buy-in from the traders that is one of the the conditions that uh you know we would like to put forward if that the the bartender or the staff do see a person visibly intoxicated that they um you know refuse to uh to serve them with more alcohol um you know there are numerous good examples of this practice actually being implemented uh, you know, in bars and even taverns across Gauteng. And there are some, uh, you know, good examples coming out of the Western Cape as well. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it's such a, a tight line in terms of, uh, you know, profit over safety for, for these type of conditions. Um, you know, we would do our best at the Drinks Federation to, uh, to educate, uh, you know, uh, liquor traders on why there's a need to look after their patrons. Uh, you know, not just for, uh, for the safety of the patrons, but for the overall, uh, improvement of our healthcare, uh, you know, budget and sector purely because we do know, um, you know, when there are these type of incidences, uh, related to overindulgence in alcohol, uh, it does, uh, you know, affect our healthcare budgets and so on. So it is a whole of society approach, as you started off by saying, Clarence, um, where there needs to be a complete understanding of the role of the liquor traders, the role of the consumer, the role of the enforcement, and all of these uh, different manufacturers that have to come to sit together uh, and unite for the good of uh, of the country, especially when it comes to to alcohol. We, we can be absolutely frank on this issue, Dr. Shamal Vinesh Ramasa, Head of Research, the Drinks Federation of South Africa. Maybe you want to put a question to him uh, via WhatsApp at 072-567-1567. Maybe it's a statement you wish to make. Uh, you can also call on 021-446-0567. It is a societal approach. We know that alcohol abuse is at the heart of traumatized communities. Um, and it's probably because they are illegal operators or legal operators that are not observing their responsibility to their community um yeah uh your your response to that so so sorry clarence i i missed it so you you made a statement saying that um i said um alcohol abuse is manifesting in very different ways in our communities there's a lot of 
alcohol-related crimes that are perpetrated in our communities. Um, we understand that people take refuse um, or refuge. <laughs> Maybe refuse this is a good word. Refuge uh, in alcohol from the pain of the present or the past. Um, it, it's not a solution to the problems. Uh, it is contributing to, to the safety of community members. And we've got to call all people that are selling alcohol to order on this front. And that is your role. Sure. So, we, you know, we um, do know that there are quite a few South Africans that have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And we are currently embarking on research to unpack what are some of these, uh, uh, you know, nuances that contribute to excessive drinking behaviors. But I mean, without even having to, to get into the surveys itself, we do know from desktop research that, uh, you know, these are not limited to, but it, it boils down to stress and, um, uh, lack of recreational activities, boredom uh, and all of the above. And of course we see them unfortunately manifesting in, in other ways when it comes to crime and so on. And, um, and really, it, uh, like I said, it requires a whole-of-society approach in terms of how do we address those uh, you know, factors first, uh, you know, uh, job creation and, uh, and recreational activities and so on. And there are numerous examples from around the world where we start to see that the moment we provide an alternative, uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, recreational activities for the youth and so on, you start to see people becoming less dependent uh, on alcohol. So, um, you know, uh, we have to be the first to, to admit that alcohol use dependency or alcoholism is a disease. Um, those type of instances require medical intervention. But when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, uh, excessive drinking as a result of boredom or stress and, and so on, there are interventions that we can look at, uh, you know, putting in place so that uh, we stop seeing all of these, uh, you know, um, uh, unintended consequences uh, of, uh, of excessive drinking. We, we're going to have to wrap it there, Dr. Shamal Vanesh Ramasa, the Head of Research at the Drinks Federation of South Africa. Responsible alcohol trading is what we are talking about. And hopefully the message has landed where the message is due. Next up, we're going to talk about easy-to-use devices placed on popular beaches that could save lives. Dr. Gareth Cantor joins us. He's an anaesthetist, uh, health industry consultant, honorary lecturer. Welcome, Dr. Cantor. Great to have you. Good morning, Clarence. Thanks for having me. I welcome, uh, nice to be on your show. What kind of devices are we talking about here? Hmm. Uh, well, the, the acronym is <clears throat> AED. It stands for Automated um, Electronic Defibrillator. And uh, it's, a, it's a device you might have seen on TV, you know, where um, pads are placed on the, on the patient's chest and electricity is administered and it's usually quite dramatic and, and patients are restored to life. But, but I'll start with a story, uh, which is where this comes from, um, which is on a, on a Cape Town beach early in the morning. Uh, you know those folks that are out in the cold water, um, various uh, almost every day of the week you'll see them out there and I happened to come down to the beach to meet my wife who is one of those uh, swimmers uh, and uh, I was greeted with the sight of a group of swimmers resuscitating somebody who had come out of the water and had a cardiac arrest and uh, in those circumstances the right thing to do is to 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 recognize as quickly as you can that the person's in serious trouble 
And then what, what every uh, bystander can do is chest compressions, which uh, re- restores some of the blood flow that you need to stay alive and push blood to your, to your heart and your brain. But what you ultimately need, if, if it's a cardiac problem, uh, is a defibrillator, so the device that I've described. And so that's sort of the, the headline to the story, is that if we could make these devices more available on beaches and, and public places, then uh, lives potentially could be saved. So our, our paramedic crews have them, and they'll come you know, to, to, uh, to, to the site, uh, but often it takes time, as you know. You, you want to... You wanted, you wanted yeah. closer to where the accident or whatever could could happen. That's understood. Is it even practical um, having them on the beaches uh, in, a, in a space that obviously is not locked away? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, in Australia, where, uh, you know, uh, beach life is is an important part of, of, of uh, day-to-day life there, I suppose, like in certain parts of South Africa, uh, they've begun to make these devices available on the beach. And in fact, some of our beaches, uh, including Clifton, as it happens, uh, the, the clubhouses have one. Uh, the problem is it's not accessible to the public uh, when, when the lifesavers aren't on duty. So when the lifesavers are are available, you know, they can retrieve a device and be part of the resuscitation. So the question is, how can you, how could you make these more available? And, you know, is it even the right thing to do, as, as you pointed out? And so the experience is overseas uh, that when you place these things in, in public spaces, you, you can have an impact, you can save lives. It tends to be places which are heavily trafficked, you know, lots of people passing through places like airports, uh, casinos, as it happens, and where you've got people who actually are ready to respond. So by, by itself, obviously, the device can't do anything. It does need a person to, to take action. But the amazing thing about modern devices is they're automated. And so that's the A part. And, and the, the A means uh, if you put the device, attach the device to a person, it'll actually talk to you and tell you what to do. So the first thing it'll do is tell you to place the pads uh, sticky pads on the person's chest um, to make sure that you're safe. So we always want rescuers to be uh, safe themselves, especially on a beach um, or, or other public places. And then it'll tell you uh, what the it'll it'll uh, register the rhythm of the heart, and it'll give an instruction uh, to press a button or it can actually give the the electricity um, with, without an human intervention. So these these devices are really smart. That's the automation. And the studies show that uh, bystanders can, can use them uh, safely w- with minimal or no training. But obviously, yeah. we want as many people as possible to, to be trained. Yeah, somebody says, Clarence, we can't even keep the pink boys safe on the beaches, won't these machines just disappear? <laughs> yeah. I'm there with Mark on that one. Um, I understand where you're coming from, that it could be the difference between life or death. Um, but yeah, you know, people just don't understand how important these things are. Yeah, so I mean, the reason for writing the, the little article and telling the story is to to raise awareness and to what, what I've learned um, meeting with Doctor some do, of the Dr. Cantor. We we are running out of time. I've got to wrap it up. I'm over time as sure. it is. Are you going to be able to get it out? Is this a thought? Is it going to happen? And when will it happen? 
Yeah. So we're working with one of the Lifesaver clubs to do this. And I just wanted to add in that it's not just the, the expensive devices, but also simple airway okay. devices. How, how, the, are, we, the, are we getting it out, Dr. Cantu? I've got to wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. And thanks for, for letting us and, tell and, the story. And, and sorry, sorry about rushing you. It is like that. Talk radio, unfortunately, is about time. And sometimes time is not on our side.